All right, fun week. Welcome back. Who was there? Yeah, love it. Love it. Okay, so about 20 years ago, before you guys were alive, a change happened in television. And that is that reality TV started. And before that, there was none of these things. And, and since then, it's like, okay, there's so many reality TV options. Personally, I'm kind of an alone guy, um, you know, in more ways than one. But uh, love that, that show. Um, but then there's all these shows that, some of which you may be addicted to, but would never admit it. You know, um, the ones that have the, you know, the word love or island involved. Um, some of those, some of the ones about families, you know, real housewives, the Kardashians. You know, some of these things, um, I'm told in some of these shows, um, that people do really dumb, self-centered things that just undermine healthy relationships. And that's part of the addiction, evidently, of watching it. Because, you know, people like watching accidents because there's something morbid in us. And so we kind of watch it and go, oh, I can't believe they did this. I mean, obviously, it's going to hurt the relationships. There's going to be consequences. It's going to be a mess. And then you say, I can't wait for next week. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of this pull. Now, sometimes I can feel kind of like... Uh, you know, self-righteous. It's like, I don't watch that stuff because it's not good for me. But then again, as I was studying Genesis this week, I thought, who's more messed up than this family? I mean, this is reality TV on steroids. This is um, a messed up, dysfunctional, self-centered family that keeps doing stupid things that hurt each other. And, um, and that's where we're at. So turn in your Bibles to Genesis 27. And we're looking at this family of Abraham, um, who God came to and said, Abram, at the time his name was Abram, um, through your descendants, I'm going to bring hope to the world. I'm going to offer salvation to the world, because don't you agree that obviously something's messed up? I mean, something in our lives are messed up. We have this bent towards selfishness. Even though we know it could be wrong, it might not be the right thing, we just have this bent towards us, and it messes up our relationships with each other, and it really messes up our relationship with God, who he created us to have a relationship with. So God says, I have a plan to bring redemption, to bring salvation to any person willing to trust in me. And it's going to be through your, it's going to come through your line, Abraham. And so then Abraham has uh, a couple of sons, ends up having a bunch of them, but for a long time he, can't, he couldn't have any sons. He ends up having a son um, named, uh, what is his name, Ishmael, and another son named Isaac. Now Isaac was a miracle child because Abraham and his wife Sarah weren't able to have kids, and so now they had one. And so God said, through your line is going to be the hope of the world, it's going to be Jesus. Um, and so in each generation, there's going to be one of your sons that carry that promise. And so is it going to be Ishmael or Isaac? Well, it was Isaac. And then Isaac 
has a couple of sons. In fact, he has twins, and one's named Jacob, and one's named Esau. And Esau was born first, Jacob was born second. So naturally you thought, okay, in that time there was a, uh, this idea of primogenitor, which means the oldest boy gets the spoils, gets the, the lion's share of the inheritance because you need to keep the family name and with its power on, you know, ongoing. And so typically that boy would get the, the blessing and the birthright from the father. But uh, God said, no, it's, it's actually gonna be different. I'm, I, I'm not under primogenitor. I'm actually under my plan and I'm gonna carry it out. And so is it gonna be, uh, is it gonna be Isaac or is it gonna, or uh, Jacob or is it gonna be Esau? And so that's the conflict within this family. And so as we're in Genesis chapter 27, people are scheming because they have their favorite. In fact, Isaac's favorite was Esau. And Rebekah's favorite was Jacob. And so they're both scheming on behalf of their favorite son in order to get this blessing and have they have their favorite be the ones that carry the promises of God. And so that's where we're entering into is this family feud. As we're in um, chapter 27, verse one. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son, and he answered, here I am. And he said, behold, I'm old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver, your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me. And prepare for me a delicious food, such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat and my soul may bless you before I die. And so Isaac is going to Esau and said, hey, I know that you sold your birthright to your younger brother and, um, and you were so foolish that you sold it for a Happy Meal, but um, I'm going to try to fix this. And so, so let's just keep this hush-hush between me and you, but as the father, I'm gonna choose to bless you even though I know you promised to give it away. And so uh, go do some hummy, hunting, bring me back some venomin, or venomin, venison, venison stew, like I love, and, uh, and I'll bless you. And so that was, um, that was their plan. Now, Isaac was probably like 137 years old, I mean really old, he, but he was going to live, they, they lived up to 200 years old at this time, and, and we're like, a, shared last week. Um, I mean, at the turn of, the, in 1900, there was just a small, small percentage of people that lived uh, to the year 90 in their own lives. Today, it's a much bigger percentage, about five times bigger that lived to the age of 90. In fact, in 2021, there was over 90,000 people who were over 100 years old in the United States. So, we're, we're living longer. I mean, you guys, you're probably gonna live hundreds of years, you know, but uh, yeah, it's like, is that good news? I don't know. Um, so about 180 is where Isaac lived to. He's, one, he's 137 right now. He is old. He's got cataracts. He can't see. He must not be in great health, but he doesn't know, so he doesn't know when he's gonna go. 
but he does know, I want my favorite son to get the blessing of their father and our family. And so behind the scenes, he's manipulating the situation. And then in verse five, now Rebecca was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So they, uh, you know, I don't know if they're in a tent or what, but just Rebecca was there and heard the plans of her husband. And she thought, over my dead body. I mean, Esau's not gonna get the blessing. Jacob's gonna get the blessing. And I'm gonna make sure that it happens. And so she comes up with the scheme. So remember a few chapters ago when Isaac and Rebecca met? And they met as a result of them choosing to trust in God and his promises. And they were two strangers brought together believing that God had brought them together. And they had this beautiful love story that started out. Well, what in the world has happened? Somewhere, they stopped talking to each other. They, they started scheming against each other. Husband and wife, mom and dad, on two different paths, going two different directions, going full, full speed after their own desire and their own will that they know is in conflict with their spouse. So as we look at this today, um, first of all, you're gonna find, okay, where, who's the good person? You know, who's the person that I can learn from? Uh, there isn't any, okay? In this family, nobody's good. They're all messed up. Um, so we're gonna, and we'll unpack that a little bit and, and tell you why. But this dysfunctional family can teach us some things. It's like how not to be a train wreck, how to go into relationships and have them be healthier. And we're gonna do that by basically seeing what they didn't do. And so the first thing is avoid the family recipe for disaster by communicating. Okay, we know this, this is 101. If you've ever been married and you went through premarital counselor or counseling, the number one thing they probably dealt with is um, how can you build healthy communication habits? How can you learn to resolve conflicts? And that's like 99.9 .9 of us um, do not naturally do that. We, uh, if we find peace with each other through conflict, it's because we're cho choosing to ignore it instead of addressing it and owning my part of it and owning my selfish bent and um, my stubbornness and, um, well, you know, I'm kind of sharing you my, my stuff right now, but this is true. It's like, I need to own that in order to have um, a healthy relationship with my wife. And that's true of any relationship, is, is you need to be able to communicate well. In some place along the line, they stopped communicating. They stopped communicating, you know, What's your hopes and dreams? What do you think about our family? Where do you want it to be in five years? How can we work together to, to move towards that? And instead of that, they, um, you know, they blocked each other on Facebook. They, you know, defriended each other. They, they are, are uh, uh, you know, it's like I'm not giving you the pass, password to my phone. I'm not giving you the password into my laptop. Um, I am... Uh, actually, you know, we have a joint bank account, but actually I'm gonna start one just with my name on it, not yours, and so I can go after the things I wanna go after, and, uh, and you don't need to know about it. And, and they started in this journey 
away from each other. And I want you to know that if you're engaged, if you're married, no matter how long you've been married, every one of us can go down that path. Every one of us. You know why? Because it's our natural bent. Our natural bent, my natural bent is to see see things through my perspective, knowing how I'm thinking and my intentions and, uh, and so I really give myself a lot of grace. But my wife, I see what she does and what she says, and obviously if she was thinking you know, better, she would not have said those things. And so I always come out ahead in my mind in our conflict. I'm justified. And I mean, I've told you this before, but uh, you know, a decade ago, Kathy and I, were both feeling a strong call from God, and I was leading in this church, and, and, um, and I was wholeheartedly doing that. And she was leading, and she was moved by God to start a nonprofit for disadvantaged women, um, and she was a heat-seeking missile going after that. And we went after those things wholeheartedly, and one day I woke up and I thought to myself, I'm living life without a wife, and I'm okay with that, and I can be just fine, but I probably shouldn't be okay with that, and we sat down and talked, and and I and we said, you know, I, I'm really good without you, and I don't think that's right, and so we came to a decision that we are done with this marriage, but we're going to go after a new marriage with the same spouse. And God helped us rebuild. And it involved talking to each other and listening to each other and not just wanting my opinion to be heard and understood and her to, you know, really, like, feel about, about that thing like I feel about it. But it involved me saying, um, I want to understand where you're at and what's below the surface and what you're thinking and I'm gonna ask questions that aren't just to get you to what I'm thinking. I'm gonna ask questions to help me understand where you're really at. And we needed to rebuild communication. And that's something that we constantly have to go after. Because if you're anything like me, uh, you got this selfish bent, and if you're not gonna be intentional, you're gonna drift away towards what you wanna be passionate about and what you think is right and just assume that they should be thinking like, like you. And so we have, to, we have to spend time communicating. In any healthy relationship, we need to be able um, to be able to put energy towards communicating and listening, talking about our dreams, talking about our goals, our focus, um, how do we need to improve, where we wanna be, how are we gonna get there. All right, second thing. Avoid the family recipe for disaster by communicating with God. Communicate with others. Communicate with God. Nobody in this story communicates with God. I mean, it would have been so different if just one of them talked to God and just say, God, what, what do you think about this? Here's where we're at. Here's the conflict that's happening. Uh, give me, help me see things the way you see things. That would have changed everything. But they were so convinced about their pathway was right that they didn't stop and talk to God. And they were all messed up. There is, no, there is no hero. They were all messed up. 
Um, now, and you know, relationship counseling, if you go to a Christian counselor or you go to a premarital counseling and there's a Christian premarital counselor, they will draw this simple um, picture of a triangle. Super simple, super profound. Not simplistic, simple idea, profound. And that is, they'll draw a triangle, and at one corner they'll put you, the other corner they'll put your girlfriend, your, your, your fiance, and then at the top of the triangle they'll put God. And they'll say, as you pursue your relationship with God, a byproduct is that you guys are gonna grow closer and closer together. And that's true. That is a profound yet simple thought. And if we could just capture that. And nobody in this story is going after God. Nobody is talking about God. Nobody is talking about, you know, God has given us his promise. What does God think about how we should trust him in the pursuit of living for him as he works in our family? I mean, it, it, would, have been, it would have been revolutionary. It, nobody apologizes for anything. Nobody takes responsibility for, for their stupidity in this thing. And there's, also, there's always some responsibility in conflict that we can own. Nobody does it. Everybody's just thinking, I'm justified. I got the right thing, and uh, that's what I'm going after. If they would have prayed, and here's, here's a takeaway for us. You know, who would you say your enemy is? Who, who's hurt you? Who's done things to scheme against you to undermine your reputation? Now, I've had and have people who've done and do that to me, who talk to other people to misrepresent me, to put me in a bad light, to tell them I did something and with these motives that are messed up. And so I know that, and I know who some of these people are because some of them have done it more publicly than others. And so this is what I do. I pray for them. I go to God for them. And I don't say, uh, I, I just say, I, I don't know what's going on, but um, for them to do this, there's, there's something that's, that's not well. God, make them well. God, would, would you make them more and more aware of who you are and how much you love them and will you bless them? And you know what that does for me? It protects me from being bitter. I can tell you with all honesty, um, if I saw a person who's done that to me and I see them today at Costco, I could go to them and give them a, a hug with a full heart because I want God to bless them. Um, man, bitterness, scheming to undermine, getting them back, uh, I can tell you it's not, it's not in me. Why, because I'm a good person? No, because God's transforming my heart and protecting my heart. And honestly before you, um, I can say that, and I don't think it's something I'm generating. I think it's because 
There, there's nobody outside my family that I have prayed for more than people who've hurt me. And part of it is uh, selfish. Part of it is, God, I want to protect my heart, and I'm afraid I'm going to become bitter. And so would you help me see people the way you do? Would you help me have the love that you have for them that I could actually have that same kind of love for them? And nobody here did that. In your own family, nobody's praying for each other in this family um, and saying, God, help me to see them the way you see them. Help me to recognize how I'm messing up and how it's adding to the dysfunction. Help me to own it and, and confess it and ask for forgiveness. And nobody's doing it here. So Rebecca goes to Jacob, says, son, um, here's the plan. You're gonna get the blessing of your father. And uh, Esau's out hunting, probably gonna take a while. So while he's away, I'm gonna dress you up in Esau's clothes I'm gonna you know, probably sp spread some mud and manure on you so you smell like them. And uh, you are like a, uh, you're a, a soft-skinned, shiny little guy that can't even grow a shadow. And um, so I'm going to put goat hair on you. And so when, you're, when your dad calls you over and if he touches you, he's gonna, you know, your brother is a hairy man, you know, he's, you know, I kind of picture Esau as Chewbacca. You know, just, no. um, he, he's just a hairy guy. And so we have, to, we have to fool your dad. Your dad has cataracts, he can't see, um, but he can smell and he can touch. And so if he happens to touch it, we, we need to be able to convince him. So, by the way, a lot of times, you know, if, like if you're in children's church or if you grew up in the church and you heard about this story, you probably thought that, you know, Jacob and Esau, they were probably 15 or, you know, something because mom's bossing around Jacob. You know how old they are? 77. <laughs> I mean, how pathetic is this? You know, mom going, okay, Jacob, this is what you need to do. Jacob is a grown man. I mean, stand up to your mom, Jacob. You, and he could have stopped it. But he's just like, no, I'm gonna, I want to I wanna honor mommy. And so he, he just goes along with it. I just want to smack him upside the head. So, um, anyway, sorry, getting a little angry there. But uh, it's just like, that's ridiculous. I mean, how ridiculous. By the way, this was not unusual in the sense of um, families, generations live together, okay? And so uh, it wasn't um, unusual to where your kids gotten old enough to have their own family. You built on to the family homestead, you know, and generations stayed together and they worked the family um, uh, assets in order to protect the family and, you know, assets and the influence of the family. And so it's not, it's not weird that they're together still. What's weird is that Jacob apparently has no mind of his own and just lets his mom boss them around, which uh, men, if you get married, note to self, uh, don't let mom boss you around. It's like when you say I do to your spouse, you're saying I don't to mom and dad, all right? 
and uh, I mean, you love them, you honor them, but it's like you got a family and you focus on this relationship and, uh, and don't let mom or dad boss you around because um, we will do it because we want to be needed and, uh, and it's out of love, but it could be wrong. And so protect those relationships. All right, let's see, Genesis 27, 18. So, we went in, so he went into his father and said, my father, and he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? So right out of the gate, I mean, Isaac's going, hey, what's up here? Uh, which one of you are you? And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau. Or he said, I am Esau, your firstborn. And I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat my game so your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you found, found it so quickly, my son? Which is encouragement to all you hunters out there. It doesn't happen easily. And, and he answered, because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So it's like, you're not sounding like Esau, but you're saying things that Esau would say. And so I'm, let, let, me, let me come here, let me, let me touch to see if you're you know, the Chewbacca that I know and love. And so um, Jacob goes over there. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And then you jump down to verse 26. Then, I mean, he's still, he's, he's just doing everything he can to put the evidence together to say, is this really Esau? And so he eats the stew and it's like, yeah, this is just the way Esau makes it. And then in verse 26, and his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. And so, you know, I'm gonna tell you a, a parental trick here that every parent in the United States uses. But it's like, if you're, out, if you're out late at night, what do your parents say? Hey, you know, that's okay, you can stay out late, but when you get home, come and kiss me goodnight. What are you doing? I wanna smell your breath. I wanna smell you. I wanna, I wanna find out what you've been up to. And uh, so just, just a little piece of, uh, of evidence there. And that's exactly what Isaac said to Jacob. And so Jacob comes to him, and he's got his brother's clothes on, he's got his brother's smell going, and, uh, and Isaac said, wow, I guess you are. I guess you are Esau. So, Rebecca and Jacob fool Isaac, and Isaac blesses Jacob, and Rebecca's going, yes, and Jacob's going, yes. I mean, there's nothing that Jacob wants more than his dad to um, proclaim goodness on him. You know, so much so that he dresses up to be somebody he's not. And that can be us. Wanting to be loved and liked and accepted so bad that we're willing to be somebody we're not. And God said, hey, I made you. I don't make mistakes. Um, 
trust in who I made you to be. And, and rest in that, what I think of you, rather than trying to be somebody that you think somebody else wants you to be. Now, um, you might be thinking, why isn't Isaac in his right to sneak Esau out and to give him his blessing because he knows that this might, um, somebody else might steal the blessing. And the, the, the picture is weird here because the family blessing was a, usually a public deal. It was kind of like a coronation. It's like our family name is gonna be carried on primarily by this person in our family. And here that they know this is, we're talking about our family name is not going, only gonna be carried on, but this child of mine is gonna be the child of the promise of God. And through their line is gonna come the hope of the world. It's gonna come Jesus. And so that was a public thing. That was a coronation. We just saw a coronation recently and it was a big deal. Well, this was a big deal for families. It's not something to hide, but he's hiding it. Why is he hiding it? Well, I'll tell you exactly why Isaac is hiding this and sneaking around trying to do it. Because two chapters ago in Genesis chapter 25, verse 23, when Isaac and Rebekah were praying for children and then they're pregnant and they're praying that this child would be healthy and then they find out they have twins. And this is what God lets both of them know. And the Lord said to her, two, na two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. And so right there, God's saying, the promise is going to go through the younger. The promise is gonna go through the younger. Before they were ever born, Mom and dad knew who the child of the promise was. When the first one was born, Esau. The second one was born, Jacob. The child of the promise. Isaac has known it all along, and he's been fighting with God. He knows what God wanted, and he's just saying, that's not what I want. I, I, I don't trust your plan. I like my plan. I want to go with my favorite." And so I'm gonna to try to sneak it and make it happen. So now all of a sudden it's like, oh, Isaac, he is messed up. He doesn't talk to his wife about it, he's just trying to make it happen. Rebecca hears it, Rebecca knows the plan too. Rebecca knows who is the child of the promise and it happens to be her favorite. And she's going, no way, I'm gonna let you get away with this. And so that's why she undermines it. You might think, oh, so Rebecca was the right one because Rebecca was actually trying to make happen what God said should happen. And that's not right either. Rebecca is messed up, and let me tell you why. Avoid family, the family recipe for disaster because God cares about where we go and how we get there. God is not saying, hey, you can justify, you can justify the means because the end is good. Your goal is good, therefore get, get there however you can. No, I mean, God's telling us, trust me with your life. Trust me with your life. And so that means, man, 
Seek me. I'm going to give you guidance through life. Do you trust me enough to follow? Yeah, but God, I, I really want to be wealthy. And it's not a selfish greed thing. It's a, I want to be able to give more to advance your kingdom. I want to be generous. And so if you help me get rich, then I can be generous. And so, by the way, with that goal, that end in mind, which is really, I mean, don't you think it's impressive, God? Uh, I'm probably not going to be totally truthful on my taxes every year because, you know, you know how the government's going to waste my money. And so I want to get more of it to you, God. And, you know, that means in business, you know, when I want to close some accounts and get some sales, you know, it's industry, industry standard just to kind of lie to people about when I can deliver the product to them. Um, but it'll close accounts, it'll make me more wealthy, and then one day when I feel like I have enough, I can give more. And God's going, you're just kidding yourself. You're just kidding yourself. Don't try to justify how you live for a goal in your mind that you think is honorable. And that's what Rebecca's doing. She's going, God's goal is this. Child of the promise is Jacob. So I'm going to manip manipulate and lie to my own husband in order to pull this off. Who knows better? He is messed up. And he is. But so is she for thinking that way. And yet we can think that way. We can think, you know what? Um, we, we can blame God for our stupid mistakes. And we do it like this. I mean, we're, we're, we're pretty complex how we do it. We say, you know, my first marriage ended in a divorce. And one of the major contributing factors was I had an affair. But it's just so interesting how God doesn't make mistakes because now we're both remarried and really happy. Isn't God good? You see what I just did there? I just made God responsible for my affair. And the truth is, God didn't want you to have an affair. That, that wasn't God's will for your life. Where would your relationship end? I don't know. What would have happened? I don't know. But we need to own our mistakes. There's consequences for our mistakes. There's consequences in me if I had an affair. What that does to me. And how that impacts how I see myself and see the world around me. I hurt people as a result of that. And I'm not recognizing that hurt. I need to own doing something wrong. And, and I, I need to take responsibility for it. And, and, and not say, well, everything turned out wonderful. God doesn't make mistakes. Like, like I'm blaming God for, yeah, this is part of God's will. No, that's not God's will. It wasn't God's will. What would have happened? Don't know, but it wasn't part of God's will. Wasn't Rebecca doing the right thing because she was going after the end that God wanted? No. How would it, if she didn't intervene and manipulate the situation, then God's plan would have been thwarted. No, you don't know that. How would it have happened, Bill? I don't know. I don't know. But we need to own our mistakes, own our going our own separate ways against God's will and recognize that there's consequences to that. In my own life, in the life of people I love, I need to own it and I need to repent of it. And man, I, I'm, 
Now, if I just hit somebody's story, I want you to know I'm, I'm glad that you're happily married and your ex is happily married. I'm glad about that. Um, but you still need to own what you did. And it's not gonna necessarily redo anything, but it's gonna be the right thing to do. We need to own our mistakes and not try to justify them because, well, it turned out okay. Now, if somebody would have owned their contribution to a messed up family, I don't know what would have happened, but it would have been healthier than, than what they're dealing with. God, um, it's not God's will for us to do dumb things. But God can use anything for his will. All right, the, the, the moral of the story is not uh, God works in healthy families and he will not work in unhealthy families. And so if you want to be blessed by God, you got to be healthy. That's not the moral of the story. The moral of the story is this. Uh, the grace of God is so crazy and wonderful that he even offers it to totally messed up people who aren't even looking for it and don't deserve it. This is not about, hey, look how great people are and how they do and, and how they're able to make God's will come about. No, this is not about that. This is about, look how great God is, who even when we're idiots, keeps pursuing us with his grace. I mean, that's the story of Genesis. It's the story of the Bible. God is good and he loves you and he wants you to know that he's so good that you can trust him even when things might not make sense to you even when you're tempted to do something that you think actually could bring about a greater good when you know that the act itself isn't isn't god's best god's saying trust me god is good man look look Here's some consequences for this family who are all trying to do their own thing and manipulate the situation. Esau, who you know, is so uh, impulsive, so driven by his feelings. Like I said, he sold his birthright for a Happy Meal a couple chapters ago. He's so mad now. When he finds out what his brother did, he's so mad, he declares, the next time I see him, I'm killing him. I'm gonna kill my own brother. He is just so full of rage. Jacob, the brother, who is just wanting to be blessed by his, by his father so much, got that blessing, but has to run for his life. Rebecca helps him hide and run, and he runs away. He's got the blessing of his father, and yet he runs away without a penny, and now without a family because his brother's gonna kill him. Rebecca, who got what she wanted, her favorite son was the one who was blessed, will never see her son again. Isaac, who's been lying to God, been lying to his wife, has been playing favorites in his own kids, has a, has a family that's a train wreck. And let me just tell you, spoiler alert. Um, going forward, Jacob 
will have kids of his own one day. And he will have his sons, 11 of them, come up and lie to his face and say, you know, your favorite son, uh, he's dead. And the truth is they're lying. He's not dead because they just sold him to be a slave. That, that, that's the family of the manipulator Jacob. There's consequences to our actions. And God's saying, trust me, trust me. Man, I want you to love me and I want you to love each other. Talk to me, talk to each other. Own your stuff. And, and just and live your life. Trust me enough that you're gonna live your life for me. God brings his scandalous, intervening grace in the lives of people like me who don't deserve it. You know, my hope is not, hey, I, I, wanna, I wanna obey God so much that I make him happy and he rewards me because I'm so good. That's not my hope. My hope is I know that I've already blown that. My hope is I, I know that um, I, I live selfishly. I ignore God a lot in my life. And my hope is God loves and pursues me and offers grace to me anyway when I'm willing to turn to him and say my hope is in your grace, not my works. And, and I repent. I say, I know I don't deserve it, God. But thank you for loving me so much that in spite of my stupid things, man, you, you, you're, you're willing to embrace me. See, J Jacob, he dressed like Esau, somebody he wasn't, in order to try to get a blessing that he didn't deserve. You and I can get a blessing from God that we don't deserve because Jesus dressed up like you. Jesus dressed up like you and went to the cross so that his father would say, my justice is gonna be met because when I look at Jesus, God the Father is seeing me. And he's saying, Bill, your selfishness, you're ignoring me, your rebellion against me, it demands justice, and there needs to be punishment. And so when I see my son on the cross, I see you. And justice has been paid so that I can offer you forgiveness. And so as a result of what Jesus did on the cross for me, when God the Father looks at me, if I trust in what Jesus did, God sees his son. And he says, I'm gonna give you everything that my son Jesus Christ deserves. And Jesus even says, you know, when uh, God the Father when you look at those who trust in me and trust in you, will you love them even as you've loved me? Jesus isn't saying, God, um, would you love them kind of like you love me, sort of like you love me? He's saying, because of my death on the cross, will you forgive them and love them like your favorite child? When you see them, will you, be, will you have a, the smile of a dad who's proud of their kids? 
Will you give your wholehearted love to these people who trust in me because I died for their sins? That's the love God has for us. Behold, what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The scandalous, crazy, awe-inspiring grace of God that's offered to you because he loves you. Let's pray. Maybe you're in a place in your journey where you're recognizing, you know, it's not up to me and how good I am, but it's up to the goodness of God. And I recognize um, my hope is in him. And if you want to declare that to God, you can do that. Just the quietness of your own heart and mind, just talk to God. Just say, God, I, I know that I have a selfish bent and live much of my life without even thinking of you. And I want to repent of that, to recognize that, God, I was made to have a relationship with you. That's how you made me. And yet I've been ignoring it. And so I ask you to forgive me. And because of what Jesus has done for me, I thank you that you do forgive me. Help me to see myself through your eyes as a loved, valuable child of God that don't need to be pretending like I'm something else in order to get people to love me. But I, uh, I can rest in the fact that I'm loved by God who made me just the way I am. Thank you for your love. Help me to know you more and become the person that you created me to be. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen. You know, as uh, if you prayed along with me in your spiritual journey, that was a decision that you made today and you let God know where you're at. Um, I wanna encourage you to, to begin to grow more in this new relationship with God so you can understand more who he is and who he made you to be. And um, so if you prayed along with me this morning, as soon as we're done, this will just take a minute. Just go out to the, that, those center desks out there in the middle, right out through this main entrance and exit, and just go up to them and let them know, hey, I prayed along with Bill today, and they'll get you some information with just some ideas about how you can begin growing in this relationship with God. If you're online, go to rollinghills.org slash next steps and fill out the information and uh, let them know that uh, you prayed along with me today and we'll get that information to you as well. If you're new here to Rolling Hills, thanks for being here. If you're checking this out, you wanna know more about us, uh, go out to those, that station as well. We actually have a gift for you, and we'd love to meet you. So uh, thank you for being here today. I know there's lots of things that we can do in, uh, with our time, but uh, thank you for uh, being on a journey where you wanna know your God more, and we're glad to be on that journey with you. Let's continue to sing.